Well, hello. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be back with you. And uh, just, it's, it's an honor to be with you here today. Most of you know that my wife, son, and I had a bit of a battle with this virus called COVID. And um, I just want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, we were quarantined for about 10 to 14 days, almost, almost two weeks. And people ask about our symptoms and how we're doing. And, and I will be very honest with you. It's, it's, it's hard for me to really complain because there are so many people in our world that um, not only have struggled far worse than we did, but uh, lost the battle with, with COVID. So um, we are doing well. That's all I will say. But I do thank you for the emails, texts, cards, and especially the prayers. They were very much needed. I, I also want, I said this in my weekly update, I want to thank Pastor Blaine and Pastor Ross. Uh, when this all happened, we knew that two weekends would be affected, and they just stepped in um, like there was nothing, and they did a great job, and for our staff. So um, can you just thank our staff and Pastor Ross and Pastor Blaine? Telling you, God has gifted this church with a wonderful team. I am, I'm very excited about opening God's Word and, and looking at Genesis chapter 32 with you this weekend. And as you know, or hopefully you realize, that the Lord put in my heart last October that this would be a year that we are calling as a church family, it is by faith. That that's our theme this year. And I just want to remind you, we're going to talk about that a little bit as it ties into Jacob and he rest, him wrestling with God. But I've asked everyone that would consider this in our church family to memorize Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1 and 2. So how are we doing with our homework? I'm not going to call anybody up here to to quote it, but uh, I just want to put that in front of you, that this is a year that I really believe God is calling us to live by faith, that it is by faith. So one of the greatest challenges to living a life of faith is wrestling with our own personal doubts and questions. How many of you would raise your hand and say, there are times that questions and doubts overwhelm you and that you wonder and you look around at the world in your own life and you go, God, what, what is happening? What are you doing? Well, we're gonna talk about that because it's a significant challenge to those of us who are attempting to live this life of faith. And it leads me to the message the title of this weekend's message called The Struggle is Real. Let's pray. Father, I just personally thank you for the privilege it is to be back together uh, with my family, my church family, those who are worshiping here in person and those who are worshiping online with us. And I just pray a blessing over uh, our services this weekend, every family that again is here and those that are watching online. uh, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst And Lord, as we seek you, as we seek to live a life, to be a people of faith, to be a people of loyalty to your kingdom, of allegiance to your kingdom, we wrestle with questions. We wrestle with doubts. So I know that there are those that at this moment that are here and that are watching. And Lord, it's a divine appointment. So I pray your word would speak, that your spirit would move in their hearts as they wrestle with you, as you have called us to. In your name, everyone said? 
Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 32. So let's talk about this. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, and hopefully you did your homework as well as working on memorizing Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that you read Genesis 32. So as we look at this chapter, it's 20 years after Genesis 27. And if you remember, back five chapters earlier in Genesis 27, Jacob had deceived his father Isaac, and he had stolen the blessing from his brother Esau. Hopefully you remember that. So 20 years have passed by. And now God has called Jacob, along with his family, to return to his homeland. Pastor Ross talked about the experience with his uncle Laban and going through that. And so now God has called Jacob to return 20 years later. And there's a reckoning that's coming. So Jacob is about to meet his brother Esau after lying to his dad and stealing his brother's blessing. And you can imagine the thoughts, the fears, and the questions. But here's the thing. God called Jacob to return. And not only did he call Jacob to return, he promised Jacob, he said, go back to your homeland. I'll go with you, and I will protect you. So here's what happens. Jacob, in full awareness of all the mistakes that he made, and remembering that the last time he saw his brother Esau, Esau vowed that he was going to kill Jacob. So in spite of that, he returns, and in all of that full awareness, fear overwhelms him. And so what does Jacob do? Jacob, the Bible says, that chapter 32, says that Jacob sends messengers out ahead to meet his brother Esau. And here's what he does. If you read that chapter, Jacob sends him all of these gifts and he gives specific instructions to his messengers saying, tell my brother, honorable brother, your servant Jacob has returned and everything I have is yours. You get the tone here? I mean, it's a lot different than it was 20 years ago. All of a sudden, this younger brother who had stolen his older brother's blessing is now Um, speaking to his brother in firstborn language, giving him honor and saying, I am your servant and all I have is yours. So the messengers go ahead and they do this and they meet Esau and the messengers come back and the messengers tell Jacob, your brother is coming and he's coming with 400 men. Now, there's a lot of room for assumption there. So Jacob's like, my brother's coming and he's bringing 400 men with him. And the messengers don't say much more than that. That's pretty much all they say. Now, if you remember, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, at one point, Abraham's nephew, Lot, was captured. And Abraham took 318 men to go rescue his nephew. So you kind of get the picture. 400 men are coming. Fear just grips Jacob, and probably rightfully so. So what does Jacob do? He splits his family and all that he has into two groups. And he figures, I'm going to go out and meet my brother Esau, and we're going to be in two groups. So if Esau attacks and takes one of them, at least half of us are going to escape. And then after this, the Bible says that Jacob cries out to God, and he reminds God. He said, God, you told me to return, and you told me you'd be with me, and you told me to protect me. And that leads us to verse 22. We're going to look at together. They're going to put it up here on the screen, but if you have your Bible, Genesis 32, verse 22 is where we're starting. The Bible says, so that night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left 
alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So here we find a man alone with his thoughts. And I just want you to picture that for a moment. He knows that his brother's coming. 20 years earlier, he betrayed him and his brother vowed to kill him. He deceived his brother and he sends his possessions and his family across the river and he goes back and now Jacob is alone with his thoughts. Can you imagine the questions? Can you imagine the fear and the depression and the thoughts that were in his mind? And now all of a sudden, not only is he wrestling all of these thoughts and questions, but a stranger comes and he physically is wrestling a man that he doesn't know. And he's wrestling. And who is this man? And then the man doesn't even fight fair. The wrestling match is about to end in a draw. And what does the man do? He doesn't know who this man is at the moment. But the man touches the hip of Jacob and he sends his hip out of socket. But in this moment, when that happens, Jacob realizes that this is no ordinary man. So recognizing this divine moment and being extremely desperate, Jacob holds on and will not let go. And he says, this isn't over until you bless me. This isn't going to be over. I'm not going to let go. This won't pass unless I know you have my back. And did you ever wrestle with your brother or sister when you were younger or wrestle with the cousins? And you know how when you get somebody pinned, you make them yell what? Uncle. So just like that, there's a draw. And this man, this God figure, the God that we know, has Jacob. And he says, just as with yelling uncle, he says, what's your name? He makes Jacob yield. And you see, in ancient Jewish culture, your name brought significance to who you were. Your name defined you. There was incredible significance, incredible meaning. Your identity is wrapped up in what you were called. And Jacob had lived up to his name. Look at this. This is what Jacob means in Hebrew. Jacob, the name means holder of the heel, supplanter. He was grasping at his brother's heel in the womb. It means to supersede by force, cheater and deceiver. See how Jacob had lived up to his name. Even in the story that we just read, look at this verse. Jacob's name, though, moves from cheater. It's, it's changed now. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. It's no longer going to be cheater or deceiver. But Jacob's name's now changed to Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So Jacob's name changes from cheater, surplanter, one who deceives Jacob to Israel. Now, what does Israel mean in Hebrew? Israel means he who struggles with God. He who struggles with God. You see, up to this point, 
And if you go back and look at the previous chapters, like read 30, 31, and 32, you will find that Jacob is always referring to God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. When he talks about God, he says, this is the God of Abraham, my grandfather. This is the God of Isaac, my father. He was the God of his forefathers, but he wasn't the personal God of Jacob. However, now a divine encounter, a divine wrestling match had occurred, and Jacob literally had to wrestle with his own fear, his own doubts, his own question, his own understanding of who God was. Jacob had to come to a personal crisis moment of his faith. And so it is with each and every one of us. There comes a point when you and I have to wrestle with God. You wrestle with your own fears. You wrestle with your own doubts, your questions, your own understanding of who God is and what he is requiring of you. There comes a moment, you see, when Jesus just isn't someone that you simply believe in because your parents taught you to believe in him. There has to come a moment when Jesus becomes something more than a lesson from a Sunday school teacher. Jesus has to become someone personal to you more than just what you hear from your pastor or when you go to church or your upbringing. Jesus has to become more than just someone who convinced you to say yes to Jesus. You see, each and every one of us have to come to a moment like Jacob did where we wrestle with God. A time when we shout, uncle, we confess our name, we confess our, our sin, we confess our identity and our past, our mistakes, and we yield it all to God. Many of you listening right now and even watching online, you've already done that. You have come to this personal moment and this point, this crisis moment of faith, and you've wrestled with God through many questions. But then here's what happens. After you place your faith in Christ and you go on this journey of faith, pledging loyalty and allegiance to his kingdom, as we've talked about, life happens. How many understand circumstances happen that you don't understand? Struggle happens, suffering happens, and all of a sudden questions are raised in your mind and you begin to doubt. You begin to doubt the words of Jesus. You begin to doubt and have questions about the validity of his promises. And much like Jacob and his brother, there's a personal reckoning that occurs. Maybe this reckoning is from mistakes that you've made in your life, like Jacob. You think back 20 years or 10 years or 5 years or 5 days. And those mistakes are in front of you. And there's a reckoning. Maybe it's the result of looking at your current circumstances Curveballs that happen in your life that you you didn't anticipate. And just like Jacob, you're wrestling and you're overwhelmed by fear and you're alone. Why was Jacob overwhelmed with fear? When he was alone, why was he overwhelmed with fear? Jacob was overcome with fear because he doubted God's promises. Jacob doubted when God told him to return and that he would go before him and that he would be with him and protect him. He doubted God's word, and that was the root of his fear. You see, two things were more real to Jacob than what God had told him. 
One was his perspective of his current circumstances. Remember, he saw his brother coming, and he knew he was coming with 400 men. So despite what God had told him, his view, his perspective on what was happening around him overwhelmed and was far more real and important than what God had said. And the second was he remembered his mistakes of the past. Knowing what he had done, knowing his faults, knowing his past, knowing his mistakes, and seeing what was happening around him was far more important to Jacob than what God had promised him. And if you and I are honest with each other, we do the same thing as Jacob. How many times do we allow our perspective of what's happening around us, our current circumstances, to bring doubt to what God has promised and told us? My guess is that for some, through the pandemic, it's caused more questions and more doubt because you're looking at the world and the pandemic and your current circumstances from your perspective, not God's. Death happens. Loss happens. Maybe you own a small business and your business you never expected to have this year that you were going to have. But you're seeing things from your perspective and it's overwhelming you what God has said and what God has promised. For some of you, I would say, and I would, I would guess that you disqualify yourself because of past mistakes. You have never gotten over the sin and the past mistakes that you've made, and that is a bigger issue in your life, or it's, it's more real than the promises of God's word and forgiveness. And then how many of us, how many people in this world have checked out, have walked away from faith because of doubt and questions? How many people have walked away from God, have checked out of the faith because of their current circumstances that surprised them or happened, or because of their past mistakes? And see, here's the big point, the big picture of Genesis 32 that teaches us. Jesus does not expect his followers to be void of doubt, but rather he desires to engage in our struggles with faith. God does not expect you to be void and free and absent from all doubt. God desires to wrestle with you through those questions, through those doubts, just like he did Jacob. You see, the significance of God changing Jacob's name to Israel cannot be understated or missed here. Do you remember what Israel means? Remember what Israel means? Israel, he who struggles with God. And this becomes not only the name of Jacob. Think of this. It not only becomes the name of Jacob, he who struggles with God. It becomes the name of all of God's chosen people in the Old Testament. Those who struggle with God. You see, God now defines those who struggle with God. He defines his chosen people saying these are the ones who struggle with God. So we not only should expect to struggle through life and circumstances. But God is now inviting every one of us to wrestle with him through our doubts and through our questions. Jesus doesn't expect you never to doubt. He never expects you not to wonder or to have questions, but rather he wants to engage with you through those questions. You see, today there's some of you that are here today, you're watching online, and you're wrestling, and you're struggling with doubt and questions. 
Maybe you look at the world around you, you look at our country, you look at the circumstances, and you cannot help. You just say, God, where are you in this? And you can't get past your doubts and your questions. For others of you, you're wrestling with your past, as I said, your mistakes, your sin, and you can't get past the doubts and the questions. God, did you really forgive me for that? Doubts and questions are holding you back. Jacob, here in Genesis 32, wrestling with God and having his name changed to Israel, he who struggles with God, it teaches us three things. Here's the first. You can follow Jesus and struggle with doubt at the same time. You can follow Jesus and still struggle with doubt. In fact, people of faith will experience doubt, and that's okay. Some of you may not believe me. You're like, wait a second. I thought we are supposed to be people of faith. We're not supposed to have any doubt. Honestly, people of faith who never question and never have doubt, they make me nervous. God is okay with our doubt. He's okay with our questions. He doesn't expect us never to doubt or never to have questions. Let me give you some examples. Look in the Old Testament. You remember Abraham and Sarah? We talked about them last year. When God came to them and said they were going to have children, what did they do? They laughed. They doubted. They were pretty old to have kids. Gideon, God comes to Gideon and he calls Gideon to do a great work. Gideon doubts. He puts two tests before God saying, ah, I'm not too sure about this. So will you do this? Will you do this? King David, mighty King David, a man after God's own heart. We hold up. Look what he wrote in Psalms. David says, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? David here, it seems to me he's got some doubt and he's got some questions with God. Let's go to the New Testament. John the Baptist. The man God sent to proclaim and prepare the way for Jesus' coming. The man who baptized Jesus. John speaks out against King Herod, and King Herod has him arrested, and he puts him in prison. John is in a cold prison cell, and all of a sudden, he questions whether Jesus, the one he baptized, is actually the Messiah. And what does John the Baptist do? He sends a person to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? John the Baptist had questions. John the Baptist doubted. There's even a disciple named Thomas. And his nickname is Doubting Thomas. One of the 12 questioned the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've talked about Hebrews 11 and 12, and this is the year of it is by faith. Remember Hebrews 11, the great hall of fame? He talks about Abraham, Rahab the prostitute. He even says the people of Israel... The writer of Hebrews holds up all of these people in the hall of fame. They had doubts and they had questions. And you say, well, those are people from the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're the heroes of the faith. Let me give you some modern day examples. Have you ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther, the reformer, the father of Protestantism. Do you think Martin Luther ever doubted? Look at these words that he wrote late in life. For more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I tremble in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. The great reformer Martin Luther writes that. You may know the name Mother Teresa, who gave her life 
to the poor and to the sick, this incredible woman of God. After her death, there were letters that she had written that were printed. And Mother Teresa writes, Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. This is Mother Teresa speaking. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. Mother Teresa had questions and doubts. We honored the life of Martin Luther King Jr. a couple weeks ago. The man rightly we hold up as a man of faith, a man of boldness and courage who led the civil rights movement, a man of incredible faith. Martin Luther King Jr. said these words, it seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once and I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. These are people of faith who at one point in their life had doubt and questions. You see, you can follow Jesus and struggle with doubt at the same time. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news. It's good news for me. Because today when we wrestle with our own doubts, we wrestle wrestle with our own questions, we're not experiencing anything different than people in the Bible and modern people of faith. You can doubt and follow Jesus at the same time. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to believe everything to believe in something, to know everything to believe in something. And for some of you watching and for some of you here today, this is a major obstacle in your faith. Some of you, you're new, you're you're leaning in, you're you're figuring out this Jesus thing and and, and you're You've experienced God and you're reading his word and you're praying, but you can't get past the unanswered questions. You can't get past the doubts. For others of you, you have followed Christ longer than I have been on this earth. Your journey of faith is long, but there are things that have happened in your life that have caused you to question and doubt. Doesn't mean you don't pray. It doesn't mean you don't believe, but you just, you have this wrestling with questions and doubt. You're wrestling with your faith. You can follow Jesus with your questions. He can handle it. He wants to wrestle through them with you. Many of us who have followed Jesus for a long time are walking this journey of faith with our questions and doubts. And let me tell you something. As a pastor, I stand here today that I have my own questions. There are days I have my own doubts. But God is big enough and strong enough to work us through with them. There's a family in our congregation members. Just this past week, he has a 19-year-old son that attended a freshman at Grove City College. It's pretty close to my heart because my son's 17 and going to college next year. And this man, a part of our church, told me that his son got out of the shower up at Grove City and just went like this, cracked his neck, healthy, young, young man, 19 years old. Within 15 minutes, he was paralyzed from here down. 19 years old. They discovered a tumor on the back of his L5. In this past week, he had surgery, and right now he's at AGH, not knowing if he's going to walk. You're telling me that this dad, this 19-year-old boy doesn't have doubts and questions? I pray with this man, and I, and I 
They go, God, why? Jesus wants to wrestle with our doubts and our questions. He wants us to bring them to him. Remember, Jesus does not expect his followers to be void of doubt, but rather desires to engage in our struggles of faith. You can follow Jesus and still have doubts. And here's the second one. Think about this. Without the struggle of doubt, there would be no need for faith. Think of this. In order for us never to doubt God, for us never to doubt his existence, his goodness, or his trustworthiness, God would have to make his manifest presence known and visible at all times. In order for us never to doubt, we would have to never experience circumstances that we didn't understand. It would require us living a life free from pain. It would require us living a life free from suffering, free from questions. Then and only then would his people never doubt. But if that happened, faith would be meaningless. There'd be no reason for faith. A former classmate of Martin Luther King Jr.'s, his name is Samuel McKinney, they both went to Morehouse College where they received a doctor of divinity together and Pastor McKinney pastored Mount Zion Baptist Church in Seattle. He spoke about his friend Martin Luther King Jr. and the doubts and the wrestling and he said this, you come to a secure faith through honest doubt. You come to a secure faith through doubt. See, people of faith, we will experience doubt and that's okay. It's what you do with that doubt that matters. It's what you do with those questions that matters. And that leads me to my last point. Just don't check out because you struggle with doubt. Just don't check out or walk away because you have doubts and you have questions. There's a story in the sixth chapter of John. You probably are familiar. You remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? There's a little boy there that he has five loaves and two fish. You with me? Remember that? Okay. Thank you for online. You were with me on that. So Jesus does this incredible miracle. He takes five loaves and two fish, and he feeds the 5,000. Well, the very next day, Jesus goes away. This is all in John chapter 6. He goes away from the crowd, and you have to understand that in that time, ancient Israel, like food was a major deal. People were hungry. So Jesus feeding the 5,000, I mean, they were, don't get me wrong, the miracle of him taking five loaves and two fish and turning it into food was incredible for them. It was a miracle, but they were starving. And so now 24 hours has passed. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus went away and he came back and the crowds haven't left because they thought, man, this dude feeds us. We're hungry. If he can feed us with five loaves and two fish, somebody probably went to the store and got five more and said, can you feed us again? And the people are fixated on physical bread because of their physical hunger. And Jesus, as he always does, is trying to make a lesson, trying to make a point, and he starts talking about spiritual food. And he's trying to say, get your mind off of the miracle. It's not about your physical hunger. I am the living bread, Jesus says. And then he says something that just rocks their world. Jesus says, Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. 
and all of a sudden he loses the crowd because they're thinking cannibalism and they're like whoa wait a second eat your flesh drink your blood I mean that's what they're thinking and they're missing the point completely and then look at this I believe it's verse 60 on hearing this eat my flesh drink my blood many of his disciples said you know what this is way too hard of teaching who can accept that sounds like questions and it sounds like doubt and then look at this next verse in 66 from this time many of who his disciples not the crowd people that have committed to follow Jesus they turn their back and they no longer followed him why because they had questions they had doubts and they didn't understand the disciples the 12 they see Jesus losing the crowd. They see other disciples walking away. People don't understand. Doubt is creeping in. And they're asking themselves, man, is this worth it? Is this really true? I mean, we've followed Jesus now for almost a year. We've seen some amazing things. But he's saying some stuff that I just don't get and don't understand. And those closest to Jesus are considering checking out. They're considering walking away and leaving it all behind because of doubt and questions. And then Jesus turns to the 12. And Jesus says this. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. He looks at him and he says, are you guys out? Are you gone? And think about, think about this moment. Think about the significance of this moment. We are here tonight. We have this Bible. We are gathered together because the 12 took the gospel message into all the world. Think what would have happened had they walked away. Think what would have been different. Matthew, John, Peter, James, Philip. In that moment, Jesus says, are you going to allow your questions and doubt? Are you checking out on me? Are you walking away? Do you want to leave? And then Simon Peter turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Think if the 12 had walked away with the rest of the crowd because they didn't understand, because they allowed their doubts and their fears and their questions to check out of the faith. Think if Mother Teresa had walked away because of her doubts and her questions. Think if Martin Luther King would have walked away, Martin Luther King Jr. would have walked away because of his doubt and his questions, or Martin Luther, the great reformer. Think of the people of faith, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, David, John the Baptist, Gideon. Think of all the people of faith that if they would have checked out and walked away, what would not have occurred because doubt and questions took them out. And if you hear anything, if you're struggling with questions and doubt, you will never know what God would have done in your life if you check out because of your doubt. You will never know what God has in store if you walk away simply because your mind can't grasp or understand all of the questions. The struggle is absolutely real. The struggle, though, is okay. 
because we serve the God of the struggle. And we are a people that struggle. Jesus does not expect his followers to be void of doubt. But he rather, he desires us to engage in our struggles of faith. You can follow Jesus and still have doubt and questions. Without doubt, without questions, faith wouldn't be needed. Just don't check out. Don't walk away because of the faith. And remember these wise words from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own mind, your own perspective, your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and we bring our doubts and our questions. I have no doubt that there is probably someone here today in this sanctuary. There is certainly someone watching this online, whether this weekend or even five months from now. That Lord, it isn't an accident that they're hearing this message because they're about ready to walk away from the faith they're about ready to check out and they have no idea what you desire to do in their life if they will just wrestle with you through the questions and doubt. And I pray that in this moment that your spirit will come, that you will bring peace and comfort and confidence. That God, you will bring people around them in their life that will help them walk through this journey of faith. That we will be loyal with in, to you and to your kingdom that we will be allegiant to you even in our moments when we don't understand would you do that in us in your mighty name amen